Living the Principles. This podcast is hosted by Latricia Smith and Phyllis G. Williams. Living the Principles seeks to expand mindsets, express beliefs, and edify excellence in hopes of building a stronger Black community. Welcome to Living the Principles. Welcome. I am Latricia, and with me is my co-host, Phyllis. Hey, Phyllis. Hello, Difference Makers, and hello, everyone. Today, we have a special guest, and everyone is Latricia, (laughs) and our special guest. (laughs) Portia Steele, Portia Mystique Steele, is the founder of the Emancipation Movement, and the CEO of Mystique Rose Publishing Services, LLC. She was born and raised in Pittsburgh, PA, Pennsylvania, but moved to Nigeria in 2019 to be with her husband and has been there ever since. She's hosting a free virtual Kwanzaa celebration. We are eager to learn more about it and her. Let's welcome Portia. Hi, Portia. You have such a unique background, and we got a chance to talk to you earlier. And you not only live um, from one um, American coast to Africa, but you also live from the East Coast to the West Coast, and now you're in Nigeria. And I was yeah. wondering, like, is that called a American African? Are you a are you a for real for real African American now? If you come back, like my mind was just wondering. Like um, your experience with being a Nigerian. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what American? you call it. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. Yeah. So that was, I was like, this is so interesting. So you are living in Nigeria. So what do they consider you just American or is it like, welcome back to the family, sis? Or. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say definitely I'm considered a foreigner. Um, I know a lot of Black people, we like to think that when we come back to the motherland, we are coming back. We're coming home. Technically speaking, that is true. Uh, Like, genetically speaking, it's true. But they do not see it that way. And I feel like we as Black Americans should not see it that way. You're not. When you come to Africa, don't think you're coming back home. You're not. It's like being on a completely different planet at first. There's such a huge culture shock that you have to overcome. There's a lot that you have to learn and you yourself have to adapt. You're not coming back to, you're not coming back home. You're not, because you're not, we're not from here. So um, definitely I'm considered a Black American. That's what they call Black people. So we are Black Americans. Um, Slang, when they use slang, we are all considered white. Anybody who is from America or from the, from the West, we're considered white. So when they look, when they talk about a foreigner, that person's white, regardless of what they look like, regardless of their complexion. They are not African, therefore they are white. So sometimes I'm called white. Sometimes, uh, technically, I am Black American. So Black American. When I start having babies, they're going to be legit African American. Because they will be Nigerian, but also American. So they're Nigerian-American. Me, I'm Black American. (laughs) Okay, that's the term. All right, Latricia, over to you. It's funny that you say that because I went to Kenya and 
one of the ladies had a baby. And when I tried to hold the baby, the baby started crying. And one of the children said, oh, he doesn't like you. He thinks you're white. And I was just like, why would he think I was white? So when you just said that about they think everybody is white, that helped clarify because I thought, did he think I was white because I was lighter than he was? Like, mm-hmm. But I'm glad you clarified that because I thought that was so weird when he said he, like, yeah, you he thinks you're white. And like, you know, I guess he didn't like white people. <laughs> when, I, when I first heard it, I was like, what? They're calling me white. And I'm like, I'm darker than some of y'all. What are y'all talking about? So it was my husband who had to explain to me that they just use that as like a blanket term to me before. So it was interesting, but it's definitely a huge culture shock. When I first came here, it was like, there's so much I had to learn about tradition and what was considered correct and what wasn't, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. Um, but they gave me a lot of leeway because <laughs> I look Nigerian. So when I'm walking down the street, nobody will say anything. Like they don't know anything. But as soon as I start speaking and then my accent comes on, comes out and they're like, Oh, she is not one of us. <laughs> and then it changes the dynamic of the conversation or how they're uh, reacting to me. Not. I do have to say it is more comfortable here. I do feel more comfortable in Nigeria than I do in the States, just because I can walk down the street and not have a problem. But um, when they find out I'm American, it change, it shifts the tone of the conversation. And so they start to kind of cater towards me in a way they normally wouldn't with another Nigerian. So it's like I don't I start to feel like I'm being babied a little bit, like, oh my god, we have to take care of her because she's fragile. She's <laughs> yeah, this this American that might just break if we hold her. So they start to cater towards me and baby me and try to pamper me a little bit, but it's like it gets too much. But I've been here for two years and the people that I know, they're over it. They're like, Oh whatever, she she's fine. Let her do her thing. She's fine. <laughs> But other people, when they find out the first time, it gets crazy. What made you move to Nigeria? How did you and your husband choose where to live? Um, so my husband is Nigerian. He was born and raised in Nigeria. He's never been out of the country. We met online in 2015. And one thing led to another. And I decided, okay, well, let me just come out here and visit him. So I did. That was in September of 2019. I came out to visit him. But the day I arrived, he proposed to me and it changed everything. So the plan was for me to go back home one month after. Like I was supposed to just come and see if we vibe, like see if we connect. But we knew we would, we were already speaking online for five years and kind of had a general idea of how we felt about each other. So I didn't know he was going to propose. It was a complete surprise. So he, I actually landed at the airport and it was his cousin who had become my best friend in those five years. I had known her as long as I knew him. So she was like really, she and I had been really close. So it was his oldest brother who is the patriarch of the family. So he's the, he's the head of the entire family. So it was his oldest brother and his cousin who picked me up from the airport. My husband's a medical student, so he had exams when I was coming. So he said he wasn't going to be able to pick me up. 
So his brother and his cousin were there to pick me up from the airport. We went to the hotel and I'm on the phone with him and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like three to five hours away. And I was just, I was upset. I was like, no. I was like, you know what? Forget it. I've waited five years to see him. I can wait like three hours. It's not going to kill me. So we go down to the lobby and I'm talking to his brother and then the cousin, she stands up and I turn around and I look and then there he is. He was standing right there. He lied to me. He was actually there the whole time. So I jump in his arms and I kiss him for the first time. It was amazing. But then he spins me around and that's when he gets out on his knee and proposes. And it was just, it was too much. It was, I couldn't believe it. So uh, after that, I was like, screw it. I'm not going home. We're getting married. Let's do it. And so I, so we did. We got married that following December and I've been here ever since. What an adventure. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yes. And I'm glad to hear this story because um Latricia's more of the lovey dovey person. Um, but I'm glad to hear this story. It's like a Naja movie. <laughs> like <laughs> Like, for real, for real. But um, when you hear Nigerian, and that's what we're here to do. We're here to break down stereotypes and what we always hear and give people a chance by that individual person. So now people listening to this will say, oh, well, just because you hear Nigeria, don't start saying scam, scam, scam. Just because you, uh, a foreign man is interested in you, don't say, oh, he's just trying to get a green card. He was like, oh, no, I don't even want your green card. Like, you could come and get my green card. But yeah, so, yeah, so I like, I love that story. Okay, so you are not only a wife, you also are a business owner and a founder. Can you tell us a little bit first about the emancipation movement? Yeah, um, the emancipation movement was created by me and my husband uh, a few years ago, and it was it was always something that I knew I wanted to do. Even I was like ten years old, I think, when I first had the idea of starting some type of revolutionary movement. I always thought I'd be the next Angela Davis. I swear I did, and my mama she believed it too. <laughs> she knew she knew that's what I was going for, but. Um, But it was like, uh, I would say it was at the end of 2019 when um, my husband and I were having a conversation about the xenophobia that was happening in South Africa against Nigerians. So Nigerians who were living in South Africa were being slaughtered, like murdered for no reason. And a lot of it was just xenophobia, right? It was just the fact that they were Nigerian in South Africa. So it was this huge uh, epidemic and like, not a lot of people were doing anything about it. And then, of course, the news didn't even reach the United States. So it was only through my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, that I knew about it. And, like, it was just, it was ridiculous. It was getting ridiculous. And so we just started having a conversation. I'm like, yeah, but I was like, what can I do? Like, what in the world can I do there? And I'm looking at the state of my people in the U.S. And it's like, it's not good here either. Like, even if I went to Nigeria, we tried to save the Nigerians that are in South Africa. I'm looking at my own backyard and like, this is a mess. This is a mess. I can't jump shit and start trying to save somebody else when this is a disaster. And so it was just one conversation after the next and like hours long. And 
So we were like, well, what are we going to do about it? And I was like, we just have to get like-minded people together because really, I, I hate to say it, but we cannot save an entire people. It's impossible. One person, two people, even a hundred people cannot save an entire race of people. The only thing that can be done is for people to save themselves. And the only way to do that is to give them knowledge. To me, I personally feel like the greatest form of wealth today is information. And that is what many of us Black Americans lack, is just general information. Knowledge that a lot of people have, what a lot of other cultures have, when they're young, they're babies and they are taught how to properly manage money, how to deal with uh, different emotional stuff. Like, you know, all this information that they're taught at such a young age that we don't find out until we're in our, what, 30s and our 40s. And so um, we decided to start the emancipation movement as a means to start sharing that general knowledge with each other. So create a movement where we employ different people, like we bring different people in who have that knowledge and are willing to share it with each other, but also create a space for people to ask when they don't know. Me, I just turned 29. There's so much I don't know, right? So much I don't know. So I needed to have a circle of people that I could trust and ask questions. I'm never afraid to ask questions. I'm never afraid to say, oh, I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. I don't know what's going on. Somebody needs to teach me. And so I needed, I knew that there needed to be a space for other people to feel that way too. We often feel embarrassed when we don't know something. And so we try to make it up like we know or pretend like we know when we don't. So we need that safe space. We need a movement that involves people who can answer those questions, but also safely ask questions too. And so that's what the emancipation movement was about, was sharing that knowledge. So this past Juneteenth, we had a our first virtual Zoom event where we shared all of that knowledge with each other and we created a lot of discussion and conversation and it was great. Um, but it kind of died out after the event. And I'm like, ah, damn, like this is exactly the problem. This is what happens. We have one event and then after the event, everybody just, you know, floats off, goes their own way and they do their own thing. But there are there were a select few who actually lived by the discussions that we had. And then those discussions actually helped cultivate my marriage in certain aspects in me and my husband's lives. So it worked for me. <laughs> I wanted other people to, to take from it, but it actually affected me and my husband's life. So we decided that, OK, we need to do more events like this, because if you only have a one and done, it will be done. And then that's it. So the emancipation movement is all about having those discussions, those areas and safe spaces to ask questions and learn and progress as individuals first. And if we can do that alone, if we can do that by ourselves, then we can start to come together and do something miraculous. Next thing you know, we're teaching our children the things that we learned in our adulthood and they can start, they can take the mantle and do something with it. So that's really what it was about. <laughs> it sounds like it started out being about the people of Nigeria and then did it go global and turn into the entire diaspora? Yeah, essentially, because it, I feel like the whole xenophobia issue in South Africa, it really was just the spark that got our wheels turning. We couldn't do anything about it. Like we didn't come up with a plan to try to like maybe evacuate some Nigerians. Like some people started doing that. 
people who have money were sending their own private helicopters to Nigeria and like lifting them out of there, evacuating them out of there. But we didn't do that. <laughs> but it definitely started as um, just the spark that started the conversation. And then that conversation led to, well, what can we do generally overall? And then that led to just, you know, getting people together and sharing that knowledge because it all boiled down to, well, what is the problem? What is the problem with Black Americans and why can't we evolve? Or what is the problem with xenophobia? What is causing it? And it all boiled down to the fact that we don't know anything. You know, everybody's kind of in their own bubble. We're not sharing information. We're not sharing knowledge and we're definitely not sharing love. And so that's really what the bottom line is. And so that's what we try to tackle is the bottom line. I know I have a friend, Joanne, and she says often that knowledge is what you know, but wisdom is what you do with what you know. So there's one thing to know it. Like you said, we have these events, we have this information, and then people go on their merry way. So what are you doing with the knowledge that you are being given? So I think when you said we determined that we need to have more events. Yeah, let's follow up and create something to make this stick. So I really think that's a great idea. Yeah, I think that's what kind of led to the Facebook group that we have. Because after the event, we encourage people to just join the Facebook group. If you don't want to attend the events and all that, and all the events are free anyway. Like me and my husband, we pay for everything out of pocket. So it's not like we're charging anybody to do anything. It's really just about creating that community and sharing that knowledge. So we created the Facebook group. So after the event, everybody was encouraged to go to Facebook. But of course, the conversation is not popping there, right? Because in order to get people intrigued and stuff, you have to be hitting them with a lot of flashy stuff and getting them excited. And <laughs> that's not what I wanted this to be about. And that's the problem, right? Like that's the reason why these type of movements don't work because they're not flashy enough. Because they don't, they're not as important or as fun as the latest TikTok trend. So you'll find somebody will swipe through TikTok before they'll go to the Emancipation Facebook group. Why? Because there's no, there's nothing exciting happening there. It's nothing fun. So they'll leave it alone. And and uh, my husband and I recently had a discussion about it. And because I was feeling like the Emancipation Movement was a failure. I thought, oh, it was over. It, it, it didn't work. It's failure. And he helped me realize, he was like, no. He said, one of the things that you have to realize in movements like this is you have to make sure that you're targeting people who actually want to be there. Because if the right people want to be there, they'll be the ones having the conversations in the Facebook group. So what if you you went through your friends list and you invited so many people to like the page? They like the page. They joined the group, but they're not conversating because it's not for them. They're not the type of people that want to make that change. They don't care enough. And so I shouldn't feel like it's a failure because I can't reach those people. And he was like letting me know, like, it's not my job to reach them. It's my job to reach out to people who are already there, who are already on the same wavelength as us. And, you know, can't help everybody. Your husband was very right. And it sounds like you had a perspective shift. So that's outstanding. You know, work with what you have because you get so frustrated chasing behind people who don't want what you have. And you're wondering, well, what's wrong? With, like you said, it worked for me. I'm wondering what's wrong with them. Right. I got all this good stuff. My marriage is thriving from it. 
Why aren't they interested? Yeah, focus on who you have. That's great. Uh, great information from your husband. Great support. Thank you. So that's that. That's the emancipation movement. But then, okay, yeah, you mentioned I. I'm the CEO of Mystique Rose Publishing Services. And so what that is, is we are a company that helps independent authors through every step of the self-publishing process. So a lot of times you have a bunch of people who have a great story to tell, and maybe they even wrote one, two, three, maybe even four books. And they're like, I don't know what to do with it. I got a story and I don't know what to do with it. So what we do is we take that author and we just guide them through the entire process. So we do editing, formatting, cover creating, uh, illustrations if they need it, ghostwriting if they need it. Self, we guide them through self-publishing and then, of course, marketing. So we take them from the very beginning all the way to the end so that they become their own, their own vision of success. Really, and that's really what it's about to help them achieve that dream that they only saw in their head. And then, of course, bonus if they become a best selling author. Okay, so when I heard Emancipation Movement, I did start singing because I just love to sing. I was like, free your mind, and the rest will follow. So that's what it's about. It's about freeing your mind. I just, I don't know why that song came in my head, but that is what that's about. And as far as the publishing i'm so glad that you explained all that you do and what all it encompasses because someone had recently asked um, me who can they go through to get published and i was like latricia and i are both authors and we also are coming out with a journal this month and a children's book next month and oh my goodness to have a one-stop shop would have made a big difference so we found our own editor. We found this person. We found that person. So I highly recommend somebody going to a one-stop shop. And as far as Mystique Rose Publishing, what books, can you name a few books that you've published and what did you really like about it? Yeah. Um, I think my favorite book that we published recently would be Generational Ignorance by Laquan Johnson. That was such a good book. But keep in mind, we're not a publishing house, okay? So we do not, like, you as an independent author, let me just backtrack a little bit, okay? Backstory. Okay, so I started as a freelancer. I was a freelance editor and writer for about 10 years. And a lot of people were coming to me uh, asking me my expertise on how to publish and how to do this and find a publishing house and all that stuff. And through helping people, I realized that the best thing for an independent author to do is definitely self-publish. To avoid vanity press, to avoid traditional publishing, just do it on your own. And it sounds scary and it sounds crazy, but it's not if you know what you're doing and if you have a mentor to guide you through it. So Mystique Rose Publishing, we are, de- we are that mentor because it's important to me that we never own any rights to any of the books that we help publish. Because in order for you to be successful as an author, you need to have your own, you need to own your rights. You need to be your own imprint, your own publishing agency. So I just want to clarify that, yeah, we are not a publishing house. We do not own the rights to your book. All we do is we get your book created. And then we help you self-publish. So we don't do it ourselves. 
Laquan Johnson, uh, he happens to be my favorite author, but I'm super biased because he's like one of my closest friends now. But I met him through the work that we did for him. So <laughs> I met him through the, the creation of his book. But um, his latest book, we published three of his books and he's working on his fourth one now. But his latest book, Generational Ignorance, find it on Amazon. That is probably my favorite because it's the most personal, but also because it speaks to a lot of people we all know personally. Like I can, somebody in our lives are like the characters in that book. I don't care where you grew up. I don't care what race you are. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Everybody knows somebody in that book. So I think that is probably my favorite because it's the most relatable. But let me see another one. Oh, my second favorite is by Tanya Chilby. She is a, I don't even know how to describe her. She is like the fairy godmother of arts and crafts. <laughs> and I feel like that's the best way to explain it. She is so incredibly talented and creative that it's like she creates modern art out of the most like simple everyday stuff. And we recently helped her publish her um, ebook explaining how to be creative and what that looks like and how to kind of capture that creativity within yourself. And I think that was one of my most favorite projects to work on because she gave us full creative control to do whatever we want. She was like, she said, look, here's my book. It's kind of a mess. But this is what it's about. And I need you to capture your inner creative, your inner creativity, like find that creativity within yourself and bring it out in this book. And that's what I want. And I sat with her book for like four days and I'm like, I had to zen, like I had to get real zen for that entire book and just start just busting it out. Like we worked together and created something amazing. So her book was not so much a book as it was like an art project. It became a work of art in order to publish her book. And I think that is that was the most exciting project that I've ever worked on. Cool, cool, cool. And yes, thank you. Um, I hope that my question wasn't misleading, but for listeners, yes, there's publishing companies, then there's quasi-publishing companies. So you're a quasi-publishing company. You're not like Harper Press or anybody, but Yes. So people are still looking for that. People are still looking for quasi publishing where they still have a voice in their um, book process. Right. Exactly. A lot of people get that mixed up, you know, and I feel like that's why it's so easy to fall for scammers. We we have so many authors that have come to us, but only after they were scammed by somebody else. Because they will shell out thousands of dollars to somebody who claimed to have edited their book and they said they were going to put it on Amazon and they said they were going to do this and do that, then that person got no sales, right? Like they got zero sales. So they were scammed. And then they came to us and we had to kind of finagle the situation to fix it. So definitely, I feel like independent authors or aspiring writers, they need to be careful who they go to and make sure you're not going to a vanity press and everything else. Great. I just ordered his book, Generational Ignorance. I bought it. All right, Latricia, the Kwanzaa expert. I'll let, well, she's more of an expert than I am. I'm going to let her lead. 
the next portion. Okay. I love everything that you're doing. It's so peopley. <laughs> I can just hear and and see your passion for what you do. It's just I can I can even feel it. It's just coming through all the way from Nigeria to North Carolina. Wow. Now, something else that you're doing, which I imagine is part of the emancipation movement you talked about doing a Juneteenth event. Now you're going to do a Kwanzaa event. Yes. So well, tell I, us all about that. Kwanzaa is my yeah. absolute favorite celebration. Me too. <laughs> I grew up uh, celebrating Kwanzaa in my household. Um, it's always been amazing, but it was like around the time, I, I would think maybe by the time I turned 25, I started realizing that we were kind of bullcrapping through the whole holiday. <laughs> we were celebrating, you guys can't see me, but quote unquote celebrating Kwanzaa and we had the Kimura and some days we would light the candles and some nights we wouldn't. Some days we would do the remembrance and some days we wouldn't. But every year we had a grab bag and we gave gifts. So we ourselves commercialized Kwanzaa. <laughs> it was terrible. But yet it, Kwanzaa was still one of the best memories I had. And it, it was the celebration of Kwanzaa that really allowed me to become who I am as a woman, as a black woman, and have my love for culture, my my love for our culture, right? And then the, I've always had a fascination with Black history and everything, but it, I feel like it was through my grandfather, through my father, through my mother that I really started to embrace the, I guess a lot of people would call it Pan-Africanism because that's essentially what it is. But it for me, it was just about being Afrocentric. And so I had this almost obsession with it that even though we weren't properly celebrating Kwanzaa, I didn't care because I was feeling it. Like I was, I was in it. I was, the culture was raining down on me. I didn't care. So by the time I was like 25 and I started doing more research about the actual holiday, like why are we celebrating it? And like, what are we doing wrong? Because I know we're doing something wrong because some, some years we just be screwing it all up. And then I started breaking it down in my mind, started understanding what the principles are and why they are lined up. And that's when I had like this really strong epiphany, like, oh, my God, every day of Kwanzaa has an actual purpose. And I know it sounds so dumb, like, duh, you know, they're the principles. But like, no, 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 no. The order of the days, it all is on purpose. It's all on purpose. You have Umoja, unity. Everybody comes together. That's why it's on day one. It can't be on any other day. You got to come together first, right? Then you have Kujichakulia. You need to become self-determined. After everybody comes together, you have to become self-determined. You have to be self-aware. You have to know what you're doing in that group of people. You still need to look at yourself, right? Then you have Ujima and Ujama. Okay, we came together. You figured out who you are and what you're doing here. Now we need to put together we need to come together. We need to bring our work, collective work and responsibility. Then we need to pull together our economics. That's not just money because wealth is everything. Wealth is information. Wealth is love. Wealth is connections and networks. Bring that together first. So we came together. We figured out who we are. 
then we combine all of our resources, right? So those first four days, I feel like are, those are going to be the hardest. They're meant to be the most difficult because that's when we're planning, we're working, and we're creating a plan to enact it so we can achieve something. So once that plan is put in place, then you have Mia, right? You have day five. That's Mia is a purpose. You know what you got. You know what the plan is. Now you need to have your purpose so you know what to do with it. Then day six and seven, Kumba and Imani, it's like, Kumba is like, yay, we figured it out. Now let's have the celebration. We did it. <laughs> like, yay. So we figured out what we needed to do. Well, we came together. We figured out who we are. We figured out what we needed to do. We figured out our purpose. Now we can celebrate it a little bit. Right. And then the last day, Imani, is faith. Well, why is faith on the last day? Because you're now headed into the new year after celebrating those other days. You figured out what you need to do. You now need to have faith that you guys are going to continue this, because if you don't have faith in the coming year, you're going to screw it all up. <laughs> so I, I all of this started coming to me and I was like, damn, it's, it's all for a reason. We're doing this for a reason. And not too many people know that. They just know, okay, you have the, the seven principles. Yay. No, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for the colors on our flags. There's a reason for the canara. There's a reason that we actually put a mat on the table. Like something as simple as a mat has a symbol because that's the foundation. Everything needs to be built upon that mat. And to me, the mat is probably the most important aspect of the, of the entire setting. So I was just like getting really deep, 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 deep into it. And then a friend of mine who helped me plan the Juneteenth event was like, girl, you need to do this. You need to do this thing. And I was like, okay, we're going to do it. And so we decided that I had heard too many people say, oh, I know what Kwanzaa is, but we never really celebrated it. Or I wanted to celebrate it, but I didn't really know how. And it's like, all right, bet. I got you. No excuses because we're doing it and I'm going to teach you. All you got to do is show up. You don't have to pay for it. You don't got to go nowhere. You don't even have to get dressed if you don't want to. Click on the link to enter the Zoom room and I'm going to show you. And we're going to talk about it. And we're going to have real conversations about it. I'm not just going to say, let's do this, right? Let's just look at me light this candle. Look at me take a sip of this drink. Look at me say the name of a person I passed. Listen to me say this prayer. No, we're going to talk about why we're doing those things. Because when you start to understand the purpose behind it, why we need to do these things, it will soon become a part of your tradition. Like if you look at something so simple, let's talk about like brushing your teeth, right? When you're a kid, you're told to brush your teeth. And so maybe you'll wake up one morning and you don't do it until your mom goes to tell you to do it. But when you get a little bit older, let's say you're seven, eight years old, you now know why you need to brush your teeth. And so you do it. It becomes something that you have to do because you understand the reasoning behind it. And I feel like the same thing with Kwanzaa. We're not going to continue to make it a part of our tradition if we don't know why we're doing it. It's just going to fade away. But if we can understand the purpose, if we understand the reason behind it, it'll become something that we feel like ourselves, that we need to do for ourselves and our family. And so that's what it's all about. Is this celebration, the event that you're having, is it for seven days? Tell us more about the event. Yes. So it is. We are legit celebrating Kwanzaa together as if we were in the same household. Right. So every night growing up, every night we would all get together to do Kwanzaa. And that's exactly what this is. So it's going to be at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But every night of Kwanzaa, starting on December 26th, 
at 4 p.m. Eastern all the way up to January 1st, same time, 4 p.m. Eastern. And so we'll get together for about an hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes to actually talk about the principle of that day, do the tradition, like go through the whole everything. And then we're going to have a couple of games and little fun stuff just to make it fun. And then we'll just do that every night until the last day of Kwanzaa, including the feast. So on day six on Kuba, we're going to have a feast like BYOF, bring your own food, because we are coming together and we're going to do it together as if we were all in the same household. Do people register this on Eventbrite? Is it on a website or how do yeah, they register? Um, you can go to our Facebook page or our uh, Instagram page. You'll see in any of the posts, there's a, a short registration link. It just takes you to Zoom and you can register there. We don't have a website or anything yet. Like I mentioned, everything is out of pocket for me and my husband. We don't, we don't even have donations right now. We will be accepting donations soon. But everything is out of pocket. So we couldn't afford to do like the whole website and everything like that. So it's just Zoom. Um, just register using the link in any of our posts. You'll see them on our pages. Can you tell us your Facebook and Instagram? Yes. Uh, on Facebook, it is Emancipation365. And on Instagram, it's Emancipation Movement, but it's MVMT. So Emancipation365 on Facebook and then Emancipation MVMT on Instagram. Great. So they gave us your information on Facebook. It's Emancipation 365. On Instagram, it's Emancipation MVMT. Yes. All right. We have so enjoyed speaking with you. Portia, do you have anything before I wrap it up? For the sake of time, I'm going to say no, but I really (laughs) did want to have this whole Kwanzaa conversation. So maybe another time. We'll have to have you back on, Portia. It's been a joy. Yes. But before you go, we do something called the principle challenge. We talked about a lot of principles here. We've talked about cooperative economics. We talked about unity. In a sense, what principle challenge do you have for us in the audience to do? One thing I keep hearing is um, one thing I did hear you say recently is you'll be accepting donations. So do you have a principle challenge for the audience? Principle challenge. Live them out. Yes. So we will be accepting donations, but not right now. But I think the challenge, the best challenge, I think, is Umoja, to focus on Umoja, focus on unity. In In order to do that, I would love for you all to join our Facebook page, like and follow our Facebook page so you can join our community, join the private group and become part of that community. Help us practice Umoja. So that is your challenge. Emancipation 365 on Facebook. Portia, you have me shooketh. I was over here with my rag like I was a Southern Baptist because you taught me so much. And I can only imagine what else you'll do in the world. Thank you. All right. Um, Goodbye. We'll keep in touch. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Yes. For our next section, open your mind, heart, and ears as we spread the good news. Not rumors, not rubbish. Living the principles, we spread the good news. We 
are postponing our children's book. However, we do have a Kwanzaa journal available for print. It's called Living the Principles Journal. It's beautiful both on the outside and inside without provoking questions. Order yours to get the thoughts going on Amazon. So what about the youth? We got you. Sierra Hill's bestseller, Soulful Holidays, is a great introduction for children six years and older. It highlights both Christmas and Kwanzaa. It even includes coloring pages to engage the children. It is also available on Amazon, Soulful Holidays. I read it last night and it is so cute and catchy. So we can write about Kwanzaa. We can color about Kwanzaa. And guess what? You can also drop that thing, break it down to the flow for Kwanzaa. If you're in California, the Lulu Washington Dance Theater will present its annual Kwanzaa dance concert on Crenshaw Boulevard. With celebrations this year with a twist, the concert will be outside. The Kwanzaa performances will thrill audiences with three days of high-velocity dancing and drumming. Mixing African dance, modern dance, and cultural dance forms, including African-themed ballet, all in unforgettable numbers. The dance schools, students, companies, youth, and adult dancers will perform together in the show. I'm hoping that they will have a live streaming because this sounds so magnificent and what a great display of Kumba. That concludes our good news. All right, Latricia, what do you have? We have had so much to eat from this young lady, but I'm pretty sure you got a soul snack. Our soul snack for today comes from an Ethiopian proverb, and it says, if you pick up one end of the stick, you also pick up the other. That's our show for today. Until next time. Expand your minds and impact your communities. Thanks for listening to Living the Principles podcast. Be sure to visit us at livingtheprinciples365.com to access the show and join in on the conversations.